The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, good morning, Ecclesia. I am thrilled to be with you, to be able to share with you. I, um, I love the work that I get to do, especially today, and that my job is to help prepare you to have a beautiful season of Advent. Um, I, I really believe with my whole heart that God set up the rhythms of our life in ways that would help sustain us through difficult times. And there are seasons like Advent that if we engage them well, they're so spiritually rich. We're not quite like bears that hibernate, but we store up enough, right? We get this sense of, of God's blessing and wholeness and beauty, and we pull it in so that, um, that even in a, a dark time, and always it kind of feels like January, February enters into that sometimes of a, a period of either isolation or sorrow or going through a desert, and that we've got some stored up that really helps to sustain us. And so my job today is to help prepare you um, so that together we could have a really beautiful, spiritually rich uh, Advent season. It was more than a decade ago that we started to gather and reimagine what this season would look like for our church. And it was born primarily out of frustration. Now we have thousands of churches that celebrate um, Advent conspiracy with us and these tenants that we just talked to you about. But really in the beginning, it was about a few of us pastors that if I'm being really honest with you, I, my frustration was primarily this. I got up to preach and I felt totally ignored. I was getting up and telling the story of Jesus being born to establish a new kingdom, a different economy, a different way of living. And while I was preaching that message, I was watching the people that I love ignore me and dig deeper into a system, spend money they didn't have, invite their kids into the system that was the exact opposite of the very one I was preaching. Because what, what we realized is that Christmas was really, in many ways, indoctrinating our kids into consumerism, not into Christianity that they, their primary takeaway from Christmas was often about things and not about Jesus. And we just said, like, at some point, this doesn't feel right. We've got to find a different and better way. And so today, I want to invite you to consider a, a really sacred way that would actually bless our kids. If you've been around Ecclesia long, hopefully you have figured out that at the core of who we are, we really believe that if our church is going to be successful, whatever that means, that it means ultimately for us that our kids would inherit a faith they would want to live in. I, I grew up in the kind of church, maybe you did too, I, I even heard things, uh, people say things like, um, kids are better, did you hear it when you were a kid? Seen and not heard, right? Anybody remember what that felt like when you were a kid? I grew up in a church where I literally, I believed there were certain people that just came to church to yell at the kids. Like they, and there were a few times, right? We got a little rowdy. We probably, I think I was in sixth grade when one of us had the idea that we would start prank calling the White House from the church office, right? I think when the FBI called, we were, that was probably not a great um, moment for us, right? There were times we were rowdy, there were times, but the reality is like kids are kids and my hope and prayer is that when a kid comes to Ecclesia and I see it, I saw it just before this service, right? We didn't, we didn't train the people that greet um, you at the door to do this, but every week I watch adults get down on a kid's level as they come in the door and look them in the eye and say, we're so glad you're here. And there's a CEO behind them, but they don't care. It's the kid that they're getting down to see 
and to acknowledge. And my hope and prayer, Ecclesia, is that when kids come to this place, I don't know how many places they go that people get down on their level and look in their eye and tell them that they're beloved, but my hope is that when kids come to this place, that's the sense that they get. I hate to give away my secrets, but the reality is for the people that I've interviewed through the years at Ecclesia, I rarely interview in an office. I will often interview at Paperco at a place where kids are around. Do you know why? Because I don't care as much about how they answer the questions as what I observe and how they talk to the kids that are around us and the homeless brothers and sisters that are around us. And what we figured out is the people that do that well, those are the people we wanna hire. Those are the people we wanna work with. And that's rooted in the teaching of Jesus. In Matthew 18, Jesus is, um, he's been talking about his real mission and his real mission was establishing a kingdom. And in Matthew 18, the disciples have gathered around him and around that same time it tells us the disciples came to Jesus. And they questioned him about the kingdom of heaven. See, that was the thing they want to question about because it was the thing Jesus always talked about. It was the thing that people talked about. Who's in power? Who's the king? Who's the reigning authority? And Jesus was coming saying, there's going to be a new one. And so the disciples asked the natural question, can't you just hear this in our current political culture? People saying, hey, Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Who's the most powerful in the kingdom, right? And they're, they're thinking somebody of military might and strength. And Jesus says, right, he called over a little child. Right? And Jesus looked at him and said, she is. She's the greatest in the kingdom. And the disciples would have been like, what are you talking about? Now you got to remember, this was in a culture that didn't value children even in the way that we value children. And Jesus goes on and he explains, right, that if you were to do something that would mislead or hurt or damage one of these kids, like the worst thing that you could imagine should happen to you, you, you rarely hear Jesus use this kind of violent language, but he said, you would be better off being dragged down with a millstone and drowned in the bottom of the sea. Anybody else ever have a drowning dream before? Am I the only one or is this 11 o'clock and you're never going to, like worst thing you can imagine, right? You just literally like, that's the worst way you could die. And Jesus says, you'd be better off dying that way with a stone around your neck than harming or hurting or misleading a child. So Ecclesia, you start to get a glimpse of what Jesus believes about children. And then he goes on and he says, listen, if, if in the way that you live, What's gonna happen is that you find obstacles and you're gonna mislead a kid, you'd be better off, right? If you're grasping for the wrong things, it'd be better if you cut off your hand. He goes on and says, if you're gonna be led astray, you're gonna go in the wrong way, it'd be better off if you cut off your foot. Because if you were to lead a kid down the wrong path, that would be an awful thing. He says, he says it's better for you to see the kingdom of life with one eye than to see the fires of hell with perfect sight. And then he says this in verse 10, make sure that you do not look down on the little ones, on those who are further behind you and on the path of righteousness, for I tell you, they are watched over by the most beloved messengers, or you could translate angels, who are always in the company of my Father in heaven. So Ecclesia today, as I invite you into some, what I believe are beautiful, healthy rhythms for Advent, that I really believe if you hear me today, if we lean into these, 
If we lean into these truths, the next few weeks will be radically transformative for you and for me. The plan has been that I would end this series. We've been in a series where we've been looking at important people in the life of the church. And the plan was now this is Advent and we're gonna stop. And I just gotta tell you, it's been so contagious, I can't stop. And so today we're gonna look at lessons that I've learned that I think will help you in Advent uh, from a remarkable Christian leader. He was ordained as a pastor. His name is Fred McFeely. Rogers. And Fred Rogers, he's, it's, um, it's interesting. Fred is like appears. One of the things Fred's known for, it's the first thing I'm going to talk to you about is presence. I hope you heard it in the, the video, right? It's presence with a C-E. That the best presence that we can give is our presence. And Fred was known for showing up at the right place in the right time. One of the best stories I read in one of his biographies this week is a story of him showing up to the home of one of his employees. He'd never been there before. You see, her husband had been facing cancer. She had been praying for his healing, and she had believed that he was healed. And yet she uh, awoke one morning and immediately awoke with the sense that her husband, who was next to her, was no longer with her. And in tears, um, she began to wonder, what, what do I do next? And she says, within uh, the period of time that she was awakened and realized that her husband had passed, that there was a knock on the door within about a minute. And the knock on the door was from Fred Rogers. Fred Rogers had never been to her home. You see, Fred was known for, among many things, taking time every day to pray and to swim. He swam laps. He said when he was angry, he swam faster. And Fred had a prompting as he prayed to go and visit this woman. And God's spirit arranged that Fred would be there in the minutes after her husband passed. Fred was the one that called the funeral home and made the arrangements and prayed with her. And there's the sense, right, that Fred just tended to show up at the right time. And I think um, if you maybe have seen either the documentary about Fred's life or at the movie in the theaters this week, my wonderful daughter Trinity went with me to see it this week. I absolutely loved it because I kind of grew up with Fred Rogers. Um, she did not, and she didn't care much for the movie at all. Um, <laughs> And so my hope is that the sermon is a bit different, that if you didn't love Fred Rogers, you would still appreciate the sermon. So you can let me know. Um, actually, don't let me know <laughs> at the end. Uh, Fred taught us, among many things, the thing that I want you to hear in Advent, that life, a good life, is so much about presence, it's about pace. And what happens in this season, it started about a week ago, you can just feel it in the culture, right? It just started to pick up. And as we get closer to Christmas, this internal metronome that drives us is going so fast. And if you're a Christian, if you're a person of faith, you've got to intentionally slow it down, right? And if you start to get anywhere close to the Galleria, you just feel it start to <laughs> pick up, right? You just get in the zip code, right? And all of a sudden, you're, you feel this pace driving you. And what Fred realized, right? and you could see it from the beginning of his show, right? Most kids programming is like Tom and Jerry pace. It's moving. And Fred would, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. 
would you be mine? And you could just hear him, right, just pausing and waiting. Even on his set, you remember seeing the set of Fred Rogers, he would have that stoplight. And the stoplight was on yellow for the entire first few seasons, right? What was Fred saying to us? Slow down, slow down. Listen, there's a reason the psalmist says in Psalm 46.10, to be still, be calm. See and understand I am the true God. I'm honored among all the nations. I'm honored among all the earth. You see, there was a reason the psalmist didn't say, speed up, go faster, do more, go to more parties, and then you'll see that I'm God, right? Because the psalmist knew what you and I know, that there is something that happens when we slow our pace. Fred put it this way, right? He would talk about showing up, right, in those random places. I, there are a few moments that I think I can capture his words and moments that I think his words would be better than mine. So I'm gonna let Fred put it in his own words. Who's made a difference in your life? Oh, a lot of people. But a lot of people who have allowed me to have some silence. And I don't think we give that gift very much anymore. I'm very concerned that our society is much more interested in information than wonder, in noise rather than silence. How do we do that? I mean, in our business, yours and mine, how do we encourage reflection? I trust that this book will do some of that. But, oh my, this is a noisy world. Ecclesia, we live in a noisy world, and we're entering into a noisy season. My prayer for each of us is that we'd slow down, that we would see the people in front of us, and we'd seize the opportunities to do like Fred. The reality is we're no different than Fred. If you pause and pray on a regular basis, God may not lead you directly to the door this young sister that he went to knock on her door, she said when she answered the door, Fred was licking his lips, which is what he would do when he was really uncomfortable. You could tell he didn't want to be there, but God had told him to go. And my sense is you may not end up on someone's doorstep, but I believe fully when you pause and pray, God will say to you, would you please send a kind message to this sister or brother? And you know what you're going to find, like I often find, that in those moments, God spoke to you at the exact moment of need for that brother or sister. And that if you just slow down, you listen, you pause, you pray, you're going to find these beautiful stories. Second thing I learned from Fred Rogers, there's one, two, three, four, five, six that I want to share with you that I think will be meaning for you, meaningful for you in Advent, is that Fred Rogers believed that God had given immense worth to every person that every person was made in God's image and whoever it was in front of him, he was able to see that. In fact, part of what amazed me, I looked for one of the things I naturally wanted to say to you that Fred Rogers seems so good at is just to be kind. And I kept looking for quotes from Fred Rogers that would just say, we should all be kind to each other. And you know what? I couldn't find any. You know what I believe? I believe Fred wasn't so much trying to be kind as he was just responding to the reality that he saw the image of God in every person. 
and that if you see the image of God in every person, you will be kind. He put it this way. He said, I believe that appreciation is a holy thing, that when we look for what's best in a person, we happen to be with at the moment, which is a great way to put it. It may not be the person you choose to be with at the moment. It's just the person you're with, that we're doing what God does all the time. So in loving and appreciating our neighbor, we're participating in something sacred. I remember being eight years old watching this program, seven or eight, and uh, seeing an episode that impacted me, and I was grateful uh, to find a short clip from that uh, episode to share with you. This is my friend Jeff Erlinger. He's one of my neighbors here, and I asked him if he would come by today. I'd like to sing that to you and with you. Okay, okay? sure. It's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair. But it's you I like. The way you are right now. The way down deep inside you. Not the things that I do. Not your fancy chair. That's just beside you. I just read something I think came from you. It's, it's you I like, every part of you, your skin, your eyes, your feelings. Whether old or new, I hope you'll remember, even when you're feeling blue, that it's you I like. It's you yourself. It's you. It's you I like. It helps to be loved in order to work in this life. Please welcome Jeffrey Erlinger. It's an honor to be here tonight, to be part of your proud moment, this proud moment. You know, when, when you tell people that it's you I, it's you I like, you, we know that you really mean it. And tonight, I want to let you know that on behalf of millions of children and grown-ups, it is you that I like. Maybe it's just because I grew up with Fred Rogers that I tear up in those moments. But for me, I remember being a kid and thinking, Jeff Erlinger can really sing, right? <laughs> I can literally, I can see where I was sitting. I can smell what the house smelled like. And I remember thinking, this is a really good moment for my friend Chip, who's in a wheelchair. That, that the dignity that Fred offered to Jeff, he was offering to each of us. And Ecclesia, you just gotta hear, this is at the core of the biblical narrative. This is the beginning that God created all of us in his image, and what we're often not so good at is seeing that image in others and being reminded that God sees things different than what we see. 
In 1 Samuel, we get this beautiful story. Samuel's a prophet. It tells us Samuel did as the eternal one had told him. And he went to Bethlehem and the elders of the city came out to him. And they were unsure of what business he had there. When a prophet would show up, you'd be like, he could be coming to tell us we got it all wrong. We could be in big trouble. And the elders said, hey, Samuel, do you come in peace? And Samuel said, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the eternal one, to sancti so sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And Samuel consecrated Jesse and his sons, and he invited them to the sacrifice as well. And when they came, he noticed the eldest son, Eliab. Now, you may remember from this story that he was there to anoint the next king of Israel. He was looking for the king, and he saw Eliab, and Eliab was tall, strong, fit. He looked like a tight end in the NFL. And Samuel thought, surely this is the, the one the eternal one wants, right? This is who will anoint. And then in a beautiful way, the eternal one speaks to Samuel the prophet. And this is what he says to Samuel and Ecclesia. He says to us today and to Jeff Erlinger and to Fred Rogers. And he says, listen, Samuel, take no notice of his looks or his height. He is not the one. For the eternal one does not pay attention to what humans value. Humans only care about the external appearance, but the eternal considers the inner character. And it goes on to tell us the story of all of these strong, strapping, young, smart sons, and none of them are the king. And the one who is the king is the one nobody would expect. He was the poet, musician, shepherd boy out in the field. He was the runt of the litter. He was the one everyone else would ignore. And Ecclesia, the same is true today. It's so easy for us, whether it's Advent or not, to see what people look like, to look on the outside. Our invitation to Advent is to say, would we look deeper? Would we attempt to see what God sees? I gotta speed up, because this sermon is longer than I thought it was, so. <laughs> Those are the first two, let me give you the other four. Here's the next one. <laughs> I learned this as well from Mr. Rogers, and I wanna tell you in this season, I think it's really important. Um, this season, holidays are seasons that can be confusing. Um, there are a lot of emotions that come, good and bad. And Fred Rogers continually reminded us, as kids especially, to feel our feelings. Ecclesia, will you focus in this season to feel your feelings? You, you realize that for so many of us in the room, you'll be celebrating these holy days and be fully aware of those that you love that are absent. It's like the room will never feel quite balanced again because parents, siblings, for some of us, sadly, even children are no longer with us in these seasons. And the strange thing about these kind of holidays are that you often feel emotions and you don't even know where they came from. You smell a certain candle or you taste a cookie and some emotions start to, I grew up in a religious environment that made me think that the right thing, the spiritual thing, the strong thing to do was to stuff down your emotions. Anybody else grow up in that kind of environment? And you just stuff them and you stuff them and then inevitably what happens six, nine, 12, 18 months later, your emotions are stuffed and stuffed and stuffed and what happens? It's like a, like a soda can, right? 
that eventually pops and you make decisions that just doesn't go so well. And Fred Rogers was just so good at saying, would you feel your feelings? He says it this way. He says, there is no normal life that is free from pain. It's the very wrestling with your problems that can be the impetus for our growth. It's acknowledging, I miss my mom, right? I can't believe we're celebrating without our own kid here. This doesn't, and just feeling that and speaking it and saying it and wrestling with it. He says, there sh- there's no should or should not when it comes to having feelings. They're part of who we are. And their origins are beyond our control. When we can believe that, we may find it easier to make constructive choices about what we do with those feelings. This is a season, Ecclesia, that you need to feel things and you ought to go to the gym and sort it out or like Fred Rogers, swim a little faster or do something to acknowledge this is what I feel. He put it another way. He said, confronting our feelings and giving them appropriate expression always takes strength. I love this and I hope you hear it today. It's strength that allows us to feel. He says, that's strength, not weakness. It takes strength to acknowledge our anger. It's actually weak just to give in to that anger, right? And so what we often hear is this kind of like, I don't get angry, I get... It's 11 o'clock, nobody knows this expression. Or you have to, I get even, right? We live in a world that just says retribution's okay. And Fred was so good at saying, actually, that's a really bad way to live. What if we just acknowledge, hey, I'm angry and I'm gonna work to let it go? And sometimes more strength yet to curb the aggressive urges anger may bring and to channel them in nonviolent outlets. It takes strength to face our sadness and to grieve and to let our grief and our anger flow in tears when they need to. It takes strength to talk about our feelings and to reach out for help and comfort when we need it. Every person in this room at some point in this season will feel some of those emotions. And my encouragement to you is Advent ought to be a season that you share it with people that you love and you offer it to God. And that we grow through wrestling with those things, not stuff them down and allow it to become toxic. Fourthly, one of the things I believe that we have to do well in this season is an act that it can only come from a divine source. It's the hardest thing in the world to do, to forgive. And Fred spoke often about forgiveness. He said this, he said, forgiveness is a strange thing. It can sometimes be easier to forgive our enemies than our friends, isn't that strange? It can be hardest of all to forgive people we love. Like all of life's important coping skills, the ability to forgive and the capacity to let go of resentments most likely take root very early in our lives. Or I'll let Fred say it to you directly and then the Apostle Paul say it to you directly. It's about what in the end? It's about uh, being. Uh, It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs, which I think are more important than any of the text, because it allows you to think about what's just been said. I had a professor one time, I think he's on page 20 or or 22. Uh, His his name was Dr. William Orr. Right. And he said, 
you know, Fred, there's one thing that evil cannot stand, and that is forgiveness. And you notice the rest of the page is blank. Yes. It needs a lot of time to think about that. Or the Apostle Paul put it this way, as he writes in the book of Colossians, since you, Ecclesia, are all set apart by God, by the way, that's what it means to be Ecclesia, to be the called out ones, the separated ones. You're made holy and dearly loved, so do this, clothe yourself with a holy way of life, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These would all be good things to take on in this season. Then he says, what I think ought to be your motto for the holidays as you gather with family, put up with one another. Isn't that a great way to say it? Can you do your best just to put up with one another? And then he said, once you do that, maybe you could do this. What if you could forgive? Pardon any offenses against one another as the Lord has pardoned you, because you should act in kind. Forgiveness is what frees us. It's what liberates our soul. It's what God offered to us and invites us to offer to others. Two more and then we'll take communion. Fifthly, what I learned from Fred Rogers and I think it's important for you to be reminded of and for me as well, is that real strength is vulnerable. I think we've grown up in a culture where there's a little bit of machismo, there's something that's connected with our understanding of strength that's not actually real strength. Fred says it this way. He says, most of us, I believe, admire strength. That's something we tend to respect in others, desire for ourselves and wish for our children. Sometimes, though, I wonder if we confuse strength in other words, like aggression and even violence. Real strength is neither male nor female, but is quite simply one of the finest characteristics that any human being can possess. The greatest example, Ecclesia, for what strength looks like is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ who endured suffering and violence and persecution, and he was the silent sufferer. He endured it with such beautiful composure and strength, and he offered back forgiveness in a way that blows our minds entirely. My prayer for each of us in this season is that we would find a strength that's rooted and grounded in the Spirit, I believe that to find that place is going to require each of us to set aside time for the reading of Scripture, for prayer, to reflect on, God, what is it that you're saying to me today and how should I live? If we will do that, each of us individually and corporately in this season of Advent, God will do something beautiful in us. And then lastly, the last thing I want you to consider during Advent that I learned from Fred Rogers, and I think you will as well, that sharing responsibility is heroic. There are many things in this world that you did not cause, but the reality is we live in a world that we spend most of our time, this is the beginning of Genesis, right? She did it. What, how'd center the world? Well, she's the problem, and God, you're kind of the problem too because you gave me her, and we're just busy pointing fingers and we look at a world filled with problems and all we know how to do is say, well, it's that political party that did it. It's that government regime that did it. And what I love about Fred Rogers is he just said, hey, could we stop doing this? And instead, he, this is how he put it. He said, we live in a world 
in which we need to share responsibility. It's easy to say, it's not my child, not my community, not my world, and not my problem. And then, he, and then there are those who see the need and respond. I consider those people my heroes. This is my ultimate invitation to you, Ecclesia during Advent. We, we get the chance to be Fred Rogers' heroes. What if together we said, hey, listen, you didn't cause the water crisis, okay? None of you. I can't point a finger at any of you and say, the water crisis is because of you. But, but the reality is we all participate in a global economy, in a big system, and in that system and some of its brokenness, we've come to a place where there are many of us who have way more than we need, we, we, we have more than we could dream to use while others lack the very basic necessity of clean water. So you're not to blame. Nobody gets to point their finger at you, but what if instead you just said, I'm not to blame, but I want to share in responsibility. I gotta tell you, I'm giddy excited over the next few weeks to share with you reports of what we have done over the last decade or more, it's gonna blow your mind what one little church in Houston can do to impact people that need clean water. And, and I believe it can be multiplied exponentially this year, that there are so many people, that, that they're, these kids, you didn't cause it, but the reality that we know that they're drinking from rivers and streams where the waste of animals and humans has washed into, we know that's not a recipe for health and success in their life. And gratefully, we live in this great city. There's something about being in Houston, Texas, where really smart people have figured out how to punch holes in the ground because we figured there was oil and other stuff we needed, and we're just really good at it. We're just good at that, right, around here. And so we've got partners and friends that are really good at that. And for the most reasonable cost, we save people's lives like that. And we think it's the best gift we can give at Christmas. And so every week when we gather, the basket's gonna be out. And 100% of what goes into those baskets as we take communion goes to clean water. Now, I also wanna invite you to participate, invite other friends to participate. And so if you love Jesus, you're willing to do hard things. And so I wanna ask you to do something really difficult. On the 13th of December, we're gonna gather in this room to drink wine for Jesus' sake, okay? And if you really love Jesus, you might be willing to do that. In fact, some of you have employees, you, you own companies, you have coworkers. I hope all of you have neighbors. And this is what I wanna to suggest to you. There is nothing more beautiful you could do in this season than to buy a ticket for your coworker, to buy a ticket for your neighbor and say, would you be willing to do something so difficult that you would show up in a room and drink wine with me so that we could bring clean water to people in Jesus' name? You know, last year we raised a six-figure amount in this one particular night to bring clean water to people in the name of Jesus, and it was not painful at all. It was a blast. It was so much fun. And so literally, we gather with friends and neighbors. We're gonna sample great wines. I literally uh, get to sit down. This is one of the great parts of my job with the wine distributor and get to, I mean, I'm, I'm putting hours in, literally hours into tasting the best wines for you. That's how much I love you. I'm willing to do these kinds of things for you. And so I can tell you that all the wines we're gonna taste are amazing. And together, you also get to invite your friends and neighbors and coworkers and to say, hey, is it possible that there's something more meaningful in the world than what we've been thinking about? I gotta tell you, coming back from 
the Colombia-Venezuela border. Um, I shared with you about it a few weeks ago. If you missed it, I want to encourage you to get the podcast. It's something about the people there, they're so under my skin in the, in the best, most beautiful kind of way. I dream about them. I think about them. Little things that people said, just I've absorbed them and I don't always know what to do with them. I've told you we're working on a plan to get uh, cold weather clothes uh, to an area where, where they're climbing, they're getting to altitude and kids are freezing. One of the things that people said to me that just stuck to me, and maybe it's because I'm a Houstonian. If you're a Houstonian, you know this already, right? So um, maybe you're Mexican or you at least grew up with Mexican friends. And if you grew up in Houston, it doesn't take you long to figure out that the flavor, the taste, the beauty, the food you want to have every Christmas is what? Tamales, right? What's somebody say, ice cream? Ice cream's good all the time, right? If you had a Mexican friend growing up, I was in kindergarten and we were eating tamales and, that's, and they told, this is what you do at Christmas, you eat tamales, right? I'm like, I love tamales, right? I was instantly like, I don't know where these came from. I don't know how you wrapped them in those things, but that tastes amazing. Right? And just to be at the Colombia-Venezuela border and to hear a Venezuelan be able to say, hey, listen, it's the same apparently in Venezuela. When, when you celebrate the birth of Christ, you do it with tamales. He said, but there won't, there won't be tamales this Christmas, right? I'm just telling you, for me, a Houstonian, somebody that loved, I just like, it was turning the knife, right? People need food, they need nutrition. You think it's Jesus' birthday and you can't get to, I'm ready to lead like a million tamale campaign. Like I'm, we're trying to figure it out. We got a kitchen over there. We're trying to figure out how to make more tamales. I'm just telling you, none of you caused the crisis in Venezuela. None of you is to blame for what happened in Venezuela, but I love being a part of a church and following a God where we say, but I'll take responsibility. Those will be my kids. They'll be my family. They'll be my friends. They'll be my community. And I'd like to see that at Christmas they have something to eat and that we get to do something impactful together. So as we come to communion, would you allow me just a minute Maybe two, actually, because I'm going to be Fred Rogers. I'm going to pray slowly. Would you allow me a minute to pray over you and for you? And I just want to warn you in advance. I'm going to pray that the next four weeks would draw you so close to God and to the purpose of his birth and why he came for you that you would feel so close to him that would radically change the way you see people around you, you see the world, and the way we participate in it. Lord God, I thank you today for my brothers and sisters. I pray, God, that as the world speeds up around them, as they're saturated with messages from commercials that say the only way to find happiness is to do more, to be more places, and to buy more stuff, that something internally in them would be leading them to walk to a different pace, to move at a different rhythm. And in that place that they would hear you, they'd hear you speak and they'd respond. I pray, God, that as we wrestle with all of the feelings of loss and grief and anger and sorrow, we get to be with some family and we're separated from others. We get to give beautiful gifts or sometimes we struggle to figure out how to give and love some in our lives that challenge us. Lord, I pray that together you would lead us to forgiveness, 
to a real strength that allows us to be vulnerable. And that together we would share responsibility for problems we didn't cause. But we'd say, Lord, we don't, we don't know that kid. We've never met that kid. But that there's a young girl in Zambia that we would hear today, Jesus is saying, she's the greatest in my kingdom. She's my beloved. Would you give her the gift of clean water which, that she would enter a day because we worship, she'd no longer be making a long trek to carry water from a river and her stream. Instead, that there would be access to clean water right in her village, right in her community. And so, Lord God, we believe that the things you can birth in us over these four weeks can change us and can allow us to be a part of changing the world. And so today, God, we ask you to bless this bread. We believe that it's a physical reminder to each of us that your love is so powerful. Your love does not remain at a distance. It draws close to us. And your birth is a reminder that you entered this broken world to demonstrate real love to us. God, we thank you today for this cup, for this wine and juice that says to each and every one of us that forgiveness is real. God, we look at our own lives and we think we're nowhere in any way kind in the way that Fred Rogers is kind. God, we're grateful that you forgive us for times that we've been unkind, for times that we've been impatient, for times that we've been selfish. God, we accept that forgiveness today and we come to this table with our heads held high as people who love you. And we lean into the season saying, God, will you help us know how to follow you and serve you even more faithfully in this season? We thank you for that forgiveness and we pray that we would not only accept it and realize that we're a forgiven people, that we would also choose to forgive others in the same way that you have forgiven us. We pray all of this together and we pray it in your name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.